running past like any other. I'd done jobs like this before, with children coming from out of town to get their careers. While the overall organisation of this is different, my job remained very much the same. One thing I did enjoy was how laid back all the children seemed to be. I got the feeling that living outside of the city led to a more rounded individual, and that being brought up in the city wasn't the best start in life. I helped out at these events a few times a year. They're held for those who attend schools that lie outside the city lines. It doesn't make sense to send someone out there every once in a while, to tattoo one or two people at a time, so they get brought over in batches a few times a year. As I say, my job always remained the same, but it was interesting to meet with fellow seers at such events. During my time working in the city, I met three other seers, all working in and around the ever-expanding urban metropolis. We were a diverse mix. There were another two women who were very closed off. I always got the feeling that they weren't comfortable wielding their powers, and that they would have been much happier hiding in a nice, cosy office job. And then there was Mr Pink. Steve, as he was known to his friends, was one of those people I met up with every now and then. You know those people that you seem to keep crossing paths with over the course of your life? The sort of people that you'd never invite to your house for dinner or introduce to your family, but they're always there in the background. The sort of person you'd bump into every few years, go out for a cup of coffee with, and get on like you just saw each other yesterday. That was Steve. We'd first met when we were both in our late twenties, while working at a school. It was a day much like that day, where extra resources were drafted in to help. We both relished the opportunity to share experiences of working as a seer and immediately hit it off. Since then we have bumped into each other here and there, meeting through work and sometimes stumbling into each other while out in the city. I would say that we tended to meet every couple of years, give or take. When I was younger we toyed with the idea of getting together, but we were never available at the same time, and something always got in the way. In the end I think we both just agreed that two seers would never work, though before we met upon this unspoken agreement, I do recall a few inadvertent kisses and wandering hands in a dark bar or two. But that's a thing of the past. We're both settled now, and are safe in the knowledge that we are both in each other's respective friend zones. I got my first client before Steve arrived, and, never finding a spare moment between jobs, it was after midday before I was able to catch a break and go and chat with him. The morning had been uneventful. The children from out of town always seemed a bit more daunted by the experience than the in-city kids. But they soon calmed down. Walking back into the corridor, I looked around and found Steve in the room next door. Hey, stranger. He spun around and smiled, a big cheery grin across his chubby cheeks. Ali, great to see you. The guy in reception mentioned that you were in. It's been a while. Last time I saw you was what? A year and a half ago? Has it been that long? We had you a catch-up then. I'll just clean this lot up. Then do you want to go and get something to eat? Sounds good to me. I love school dinners. After Steve packed his gear away, we followed the unmistakable scent of cafeteria food down the corridor. Funny how, no matter what is cooking, these places always smell like fried onions and mashed potato. I filled some food left over in my backpack, but got a plate of hash browns to accompany my nibbles. We settled down, picking a seat in the corner, away from the rabble of school children. So what's new with you? Last I heard you were planning on proposing to your girlfriend. Mindy, was it? Well, you'd be glad to hear that I didn't chicken out. We've been married for almost a year now. Congratulations, how was the big day? Happiest day of my life. We did a small ceremony, a few close friends and relatives. So do I hear the pitter-patter of little feet? Steve burst out laughing. You've got to be kidding me. I don't know how parents do it. Nothing puts you off kids like being around them all day. I looked around at the chaos that engulfed the canteen as children shrieked and played and threw unwanted vegetables at one another. You're not wrong there. I can't imagine returning home to this sort of carnage. Yeah, I have seen my fair share of brats doing this job. 
I laughed so hard that I almost choked on my hash brown and pita sandwich. So you had anything good recently? Got to tattoo a future president? This is a game or serious play, like a top trumps of tattooing. We like to try and outdo each other. Show off that we've branded some future high flyer. I did meet a rocket scientist last year. I always thought that was just a saying. What do you think I am, a rocket scientist? He shrugged. Well, it turns out some people really are. I guess someone has to do these things. He spread another fish stick and covered it in ketchup. Man, these things are delicious. Makes me wonder why people risk their lives out at sea, when you can make something this tasty from artificial ingredients. Through a mouthful of hummus dipped hash brown, I laughed. Steve returned to the subject of our clients. So you had anything interesting lately? The thought suddenly occurred to me that Steve was probably the one person, the only person, who would understand my dilemma, my inner turmoil, over what to do about the boy who haunted me. But I knew I couldn't burden anyone else with that information. I knew I had to fight this one alone. Nothing much, same old, same old. I did have to assign someone to a role in vermin control a few weeks back. Poor lad. I didn't know what to say. Not much you can say when you've essentially just told someone they're doomed to a career like that. Ouch, poor guy. You've attempted to change the career. I lowered my voice and leant in towards Steve. Of course not, you get sentenced to death, or even worse to something like that. What's worse than the death penalty? I don't know. Being tortured and kept alive for years on end? As they drive pins under your fingernails and leave mice to eat your toes? Steve recoiled and grimaced. That's some dark shit right there, Ollie. What goes on in that head of yours? I grinned, folding up my last granola bar in the foil package and placing it in my bag for later. Well, thank you. But I wasn't the one bringing up breaking the law. I didn't add that the thought had crossed my mind, and that I'd be interested in hearing the opinion of another seer. Well, sorry, he smiled. But just hypothetically, wouldn't it be nice to have that power? Wouldn't it be nice to send the nice kids off to a future of happiness, and good fortune, and the arrogant brats off to sweep the streets? I can see where you're coming from. I don't like handing out some of the careers I have to. But we can't play God. Plus, who knows? Some people might think cleaning the streets is a good career. Not everyone wants a high-stress, high-paid job. Steve returned to his stack of cookies, which had been dunking incessantly into a tall glass of milk. I guess you're right. Just something that crosses my mind every once in a while. I slumped back in my chair. Okay. But just make sure those thoughts stay in your mind. I can't have you throwing your life away for some kid. Don't worry. I'd never really do it. Just talking. It's nice to talk to another seer. I miss our chats when you're not around. I smiled and stood up, grabbing my plate. Well, I'd best get back. The next kid will be waiting for me. See you around. Bye, Ellie. As I went struck off my plate at the canteen, I felt fear spread across my body. Could I really be thinking of doing this? Could I really be even considering breaking the law and giving out a false career? I tried to push all thoughts of the boy to the back of my mind, to just focus on my job. But no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't keep my mind quiet. Thankfully my clients that afternoon were pretty nice. They were all sweet kids, and none of them were dealt a pike-inducing career. I did have a fainter, a petite girl with a bird-like frame whose eyes glazed over the second she saw the needle. But there was always a school nurse in hand for stuff like that. As I tidied my things away and got ready to go home, I could feel my temples throbbing. The sheer volume of thoughts threatening to burst out of my skull and tell the rest of the world what a terrible thing I was considering. I downed a couple of aspirin, glugged alongside a lot of water to try and keep the pain and my demons at bay. I didn't want anyone or anything destroying the night that lay ahead. I missed my train and was left waiting at the station. 
counting the minutes until I could see Penny, before the next service finally arrived. The trains were running late, as usual. Something's never changed. The subway carriage wasn't as jam-packed as normal. A surprisingly clement spring day, having fallen upon us, and it appeared that a lot of workers had decided to delay their journey home, trading sitting in rush hour for a few cocktails with their friends and colleagues. Despite the warmth of the day, I could feel cool air enveloping me as we raced through the underground tunnels. It never seems to get warm down there, in the bowels of the city. I pulled my jacket up around my neck and gazed out into the darkness, pondering the choices that lay ahead of me. As I made my apartment, our apartment, I could feel a jangle of nerves. I had that feeling as though a kaleidoscope of butterflies were swarming around inside my stomach. It didn't matter how long I knew Penny, she still gave me that feeling from time to time. I couldn't help but give in to my primal emotions where she was concerned. I swept into the apartment, feeling that same relief I always do as I cross the threshold and into my safe place. Penny wasn't in the living room and I couldn't smell the signs of anything cooking. Lights like this usually started with plumes of delicious smells wafting through the apartment. I called out, Penny, you home? She rushed in from the bedroom. Hey, you're finally home. Before I could put my bag down, I was swept up in her slender arms and covered in kisses. Lost in happiness, I expressed my apologies. I'm so sorry, I couldn't wait to get back to you, but the subway was jammed. She cut me off, placing her index finger over my lips. It doesn't matter, you're here now. I mean, I know you don't like my boring she even used the air quotes, vegetarian food, so I thought we would have your favourite tonight. I stood and looked puzzled. Captain Crunch? She smiled. You're nearly there. I'm making pancakes. I've also got chocolate sauce, maple syrup, and an array of garishly cold candy to top them with. Sound okay? Sounds awesome. I hope you have our dentist on speed dial. We grinned at each other. So when does the sugar fest begin? Well, she wrapped her arms around me. I thought we could have some fun first. While caressing my ears and neck, she walked me to the bedroom, where she proceeded to push me up against the wall and passionately kiss me. For someone with such a small frame, Penny could really throw me around. I succumbed to her and let her undress me, as I remained hers, pinned up against the wall at her mercy. But it was my turn. I began by kissing her neck, her collarbone, her breasts, before pulling her flimsy dress up over her shoulders to reveal her perfect curves. I then picked her up, her dainty frame no effort to lift and threw her down the bed before letting myself melt into her. We rolled around on the bed, arms and legs firmly wrapped around one another as our tongues became entwined, and our bodies began to ache with mounting desire. I felt Penny's nails scratching into my back before she softened and began to leave a trail of butterfly kisses down my body, before using her mouth to open me up and feed my inner passion. Basking in happiness, we lay in bed, naked and carefree, wrapped in each other's arms and feeling like nothing else in the world mattered. Promise you'll always love me? Of course. But no matter what? She sat up and looked deep into my eyes. You know I'll always love you. What do you think this means? She pointed to her wedding ring. She furrowed her brow. Why, what's wrong? Nothing, I just worry sometimes. Guess I still always feel a bit like I'm in a dream now with you. Like I could just wake up and it could all be over. She smiled. The innocent smile of someone who had no idea what terrible things were going through in my mind. You are the sweetest, but rest assured you're not dreaming. I am here, and I always will be. I love you forever. Forever, I whispered, and fell back into her arms. The food would have to wait. I looked around, unable to move, 
trapped under a pile of rubble and coughing on great plumes of ash. On the city floor I was surrounded by others, tens, hundreds of people were trapped beneath the fallen brickwork. Screams filled the sky of those not already killed by the impact of fallen debris, and the suffocating fumes that hung thick in the air. My pupils shrank as lights flashed across the sky, and that's when I saw him. For the first time, he appeared before me in full view. Having only ever seen this grand profile from a distance, or from behind, I was greeted with the full image of his awfulness. He laughed as he looked down on me. His thick black hair swept back from his face to reveal a pair of strikingly bright green eyes. You imagine his snake eyes, the way they glinted and moved. The boy himself, now a man, looked like a slippery snake himself. He was the pure embodiment of evil. It felt fitting that he resembled the oldest symbol of wickedness. He lifted a radio to his mouth and spoke. His voice transmitted through the helicopter's radio system. Ali, pathetic little Ali. You thought you could stop all this, didn't you? Motion the carnage that surrounded us, he cackled, living being in the middle of the horror he had caused. But no one could stop me. I was destined to take over the world. I'm glad that you're here to see my masterpiece. He turned away as the helicopter continued to hover above the ground. Your magics disgust me. He looked down at me one last time before motioning to the pilot and disappearing into the mist. I didn't make an attempt to respond. My mind was blank and words would not come. I wasn't sure if I could talk, the smoke and dust having dried my throat to new levels, and my chest was beginning to ache from the weight of debris. The city started to swim before my eyes as the pain began to spread through my chest and across my body. Then the light came, and I knew what was going to come next. I woke to the sound of birds chirping outside. The summer had started hot and continued to burnish the city with hot rays of sunshine. The weather had brought an influx of birds from the northern regions, which made a welcome change to the honking and beeping that normally made up the musical score of the sidewalks. I felt suddenly overcome with a feeling of calm. The window was open and brought a fresh breeze of cool air into the humid apartment. It was not even seven and I could already feel the warmth of the sun filling the air. Penny was asleep on the couch, where she had been forced to take up permanent residence as a result of my perpetual night terrors. I've tried to calm them down. I went to this hippie lady down the street who gave me crystals to rub and incense to burn. Normally I wouldn't buy into this sort of crap. It seems to me to be a way of squeezing money out of the helpless and the hopeless. But this was the category I found myself in. I must admit the incense did make me feel quite calm and the crystals were very pretty. But nothing made any difference to my nightmares. I only went to see her a few times. Julie her name was. Crazy Julie. And she's known in our block. But I didn't see any point in going back. I told Penny it was helping and thanked her for suggesting the idea, but I think we both knew that I was in a downward spiral that I couldn't do anything about. I pulled on jeans, boots and a vest, today was not a jacket day, and quietly left Penny to sleep in peace. The air felt hot as I stepped out onto the sidewalk. The cool air and breeze that had rushed into the apartment seemed to be a phenomenon that wouldn't reach the lower echelons of the city that day. I walked to the subway station, already sweating before I had even got going. Before boarding the carriage, I grabbed a couple of cans of cold soda and a bar of chocolate. After I had found the seat, not too hard with many people choosing to take their summer vacations during the heatwave, I sat and daydreamed about sitting on a beach, the cool sea air curling around me and kissing me with cool refreshment. The carriage lurched away from the station and brought me out of my daydream. Too hungry and overheated to care what people thought of me, I hugged one of the soda cans to my neck while scoffing the chocolate bar in three greedy chomps. I then proceeded to down one of the sodas in one. As the sugar filtered through my digestive system and into my veins, I began to perk up, and I still had the other soda, for when the inescapable sugar crash came later in the morning. 
That week I had been posted just a few stops away from home. If the weather hadn't been so swelteringly hot I could have walked it. But this was not the weather for a cross-city hike. Exiting the subway, I returned to the scorching streets, already filled with sunshine, and I began to feel nauseous. I don't think the combination of chocolate and heat was a good idea. I was reminded of a school trip where we spent hours riding around on an old bus, one day just before summer vacation. The metal structure of the bus seemed to capture all the heat of the air and trap it in with us. I remember feeling how I was being cooked in a tin can. By the time we got to the nature reserve, I was too hot to move, stuck to the hot plastic-covered seats. I don't think we were there long. Even the two teachers who had drawn the short straw and been asked to accompany us on the outing didn't appear to want to be there. I took a few deep breaths and composed myself before walking towards this week's school. It was a lovely building and looked more like a piece of modern art than a place of education. With the regular angled windows and primary colored splashes across the front walls. It was before morning lessons, but no children were outside in the yard as I approached the building. Newsreaders had been warning that people shouldn't stay out for long periods of time, noting that many construction workers had been sent home until the heat subsided, and children had been forced to stop playing outside to reduce their risk of sunstroke. Walking into the building I breathed a sigh of relief as the air conditioning sent goosebumps running over my body. I stood there in silence, taking in the cool air, before proceeding down the corridor to sign in and start the day's work. After being provided with my schedule and name badge, which never fails to make me feel like a schoolchild myself, I was ushered into a tiny room and asked to wait for my first client. The word room was slightly misleading, as room was something severely lacking within the space they had placed me in. It looked as though it had been a janitor's cupboard at some time or another, and smelled faintly of mildew and dust. I wouldn't have been shocked if this room had been cleaned out especially for my visit, and that if I had peered around the corner I would have seen a janitor waiting with their buckets and mops ready for me to leave. Education had been something of a sticking point in the manifestos of almost every politician in recent history. They seemed to switch between wanting to cut back on national spending and trying to cool the expansion of trial subjects, and wanting to drive everything they've got into nurturing the workforce of the future. Our current president, loathsome creature that she is, has broken the mould and fallen somewhere in between. Resources seem to have been cut across the board, with many of the publicly funded schools falling into disrepair. Despite this, there has been an increasing number of crazy subjects added to the curriculum. A friend of mine told me that she would take training in order to teach children as young as five about meditation and interstellar communications. Presumably they are hopeful that children of tomorrow will be planet-hopping yogis. I have yet to encounter such a student. I felt a flash of pain leap through my temples, the circuitry of my brain momentarily going into overdrive. Stunned by the pain that came and went in an instant, I looked around and checked that I was okay. I had suffered with migraines all my life, and often could use them to predict things. Certain fluctuations in atmospheric pressure, heat and hormones could often set them off, meaning that I was more accurate than the weather channel at predicting a thunderstorm. Apparently, though no one understands why, this is a real phenomenon amongst migraine sufferers. Looking out of the window, the sky was still clear, the sun now high in the late morning sky. The solace of the cooling downpour that would arrive with the thunderstorm, releasing the heavy tension of the heat, would have been a blessed relief. Just then I saw him, walking down the corridor towards me. I had resorted to standing outside the closet and waiting for my clients, as no one knew I was in the room. As I stood there, everything seemed to sink into slow motion. 
I watched the boy's heavy footsteps marching down the corridor and hoped that he would keep going. I prayed with every fibre of my being that he was just walking past on his way to class or that he had been excused to go to see the school nurse or use the bathroom. But to my horror his footsteps slowed before he came to a halt in front of me. Those cold green eyes, those eyes I'd seen so many times in my nightmares were staring at me. Hi, I've been sent to get my career tattoo. Is this the right place? Thanks for listening. If you could remember to rate, review and subscribe and I'll see you back here next week for the next instalment. Bye.